Up and at him, E-Town. Don't forget, because it is so true. No. Hi, I'm Nora, and I use she, they pronouns. I'm Zachary, and I use he, him pronouns. Welcome to Kid Chat. Zachary, how's life going? It's good. It's good. Bit tired today, but that's okay. Yep. Finally, February, the coldest month. Apparently. Yeah. A real real shame. Yeah, we got a lot of snow. I have a bunch. The snow I'm okay with, but it's now that it's like five degrees out and it's gonna be colder. That that's what I can't stand. Yeah, I just don't like the winter in general. I don't think I don't think I'm supposed to go be in winter. No. Uh, Again, like I like the first day of snow. It's very pretty when you wake up. That's about it. Yep. So Zachary, um, have you been following the Evanston elections recently? Yeah, I have been. For those of our listeners who don't know, the Evanston Municipal and actually just all of Cook County Municipal elections are coming up soon. The primaries are on February 23rd, so just but a bit more than two weeks now. And for those people who don't know, the way these elections work is there's this primary election for all races where there are three or more candidates. If a candidate receives more than 50% of the vote, they get that position, whatever they're running for, they win. If not, it goes to a consolidated election on April 6th that will determine that winner. And in which case there are only like the two people who got the highest votes go to that election on the 6th. And there are a lot of people running this year. I don't know if it's more than normal, but there are three mayoral candidates, Daniel Biss, Lori Keenan, and Sebastian Knowles, and 22 city council candidates, which is a lot. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Again, I have no clue if that's more than there normally are. I haven't looked back four years ago. But it does feel like that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are also like 10 writing candidates for a variety of positions. So a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting. I think any election is exciting, but especially when um, like the change is happening within like the place that you live. You know, I think especially um, as high schoolers, it's really interesting to follow. Um, like what people's policies are and like the organizations that support certain candidates and stuff like that. Yeah, I agree because I think this, a lot of these people who are running as the Evanston has been working on profiles of them, which will be coming out soon and we'll have the link in the description. Um, A lot of them are saying they were motivated, especially people who aren't incumbents are motivated by all the activism, by all the um, work that was being done over the summer. And that was what they're saying. We need to bring about change. We need to do that now. Yeah, it's good to hear that, you know, that's kind of making a difference in people's um, minds and like they want to continue that work. Yeah, so with that in mind, today we are going to bring on State Senator Daniel Biss, to, who is one of these three people running for Evanston mayor, and ask him a few questions about why he's running and what he hopes to see in the next four years in Evanston. If you could just start by going ahead and introducing yourself to our listeners, um, 
just who you are as a person, your history in Evanston and politics. Great. Uh, yeah, thanks, Zachary. Um, so my name is Daniel Biss. Uh, I live on Central Street uh, with my wife, Karen, who teaches history at National Lewis University and our two kids. Uh, we've got a fifth grader at Willard and a seventh grader at Haven. Um, I came here actually almost 15 years ago um, when Karen and I got married because she was just starting uh, graduate work at Northwestern at that point. So we moved here and started our family here. Um, for eight years out of the last decade, I was in the legislature. I served in the, as a member of the Illinois House and the Illinois Senate for eight years, working on all kinds of different issues on retirement security and budget issues and taxation and uh, questions of um, reproductive freedom and LGBTQ rights and racial justice and all kinds of stuff. Um, and left the legislature almost exactly two years ago. And since then I've been working on a bunch of different things, but my, my day job these days is working on a campaign around the Midwest uh, directed uh, at clean energy to try to um, push the operator of the electric grid to accelerate their updates so that we can uh, have more clean energy on the grid sooner. Um, and I decided uh, to jump in this race for mayor of Evanston, mostly because I see this as a really, really pivotal time, obviously partially because of COVID and all that the recovery from COVID is gonna require, uh, but, but partially because of the moment that we're in, a moment that is giving us the opportunity far too late to begin reckoning in earnest with questions of racial justice and policing and what true shared public safety looks like. And, and frankly, questions of, of segregation and housing as well. And I just think it's an opportunity for a community like Evanston that sees itself as progressive, wants to be a leader of the country to do bold and exciting and transformational things. But you know, that's not automatic. It won't just happen because we think it might. It'll happen if we get in the arena and, and really push hard and work to bring people together ask people to accept things that'll be a little bit controversial or difficult because that's the only way to make the kind of progress that our community needs. So I'm, I'm running for mayor and the election is coming right up on February 23rd. Great, that's, yeah, that's really exciting. And you talked a little bit about the campaign you're a part of and um, your work as a senator and representative, um, but what would you say some of your biggest accomplishments um, in your political career have been and maybe why? Uh, well, thank you for that question, Nora. It's, um, <clears throat> if only all the questions are like that. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, the achievement I'm proudest of uh, in my time in the legislature was uh, I created this program that will ultimately help probably millions of Illinois residents have a shot at saving for a dignified retirement. It's called the Re Secure Choice Retirement Savings Program. And this was, this was an idea that was like, it was, it's been out there for well over a decade. It was something people were talking about in 2005. It was something that all the experts said made all the sense in the world, but the Wall Street lobby and the insurance industry hated it. And so in every state capital in the country, as well as in DC, they had just squashed it. And when I told people that I was going to try this in Illinois, I got laughed at and people were like, you're never going to beat these guys. It's just, it's just hopeless. Um, and I just, dug in and we built this amazing ragtag coalition of advocates for people living in poverty. And we had meetings in church basements all over the state. And we just like built this incredible coalition and it took two full years to get there, but eventually we, uh, we passed that law. And now that program is up and running successfully. A lot of the people who were trying to kill it have reluctantly had to admit that actually it's working very well and it's helping already tens of thousands of people in Illinois, but not just that. After we passed it, the dam broke. 
And then now they're doing this in California and then Oregon and in Maryland and a number of other states. And so I just, it just helped me see if you really put your mind to it, you can actually change policy in a way that demonstrates to others what's possible. I guess one other example I'll talk about that was something that really was um, really emotional for me was um, there's a, an abusive practice with a crazy name. It's called conversion therapy. This is where uh, people who are uh, LGBTQ are often coerced by their parents to go to a so-called therapist who tries to essentially um, teach them that their identity is something other than what it is. Uh, it's very abusive and it causes, uh, unfortunately, terrible mental health um, um, challenges and, and is even attributable in some cases to, to suicide. Um, and, and so it was this tragic abusive practice that, that occurs all over the country. And um, we wanted to pass legislation prohibiting it in Illinois. And, and we had these people who had been survivors of this practice who were brave enough to be the leaders of our coalition, to educate not only me, but my colleagues in the legislature to come and testify in Springfield and, and just to, to have a chance to lift up uh, those voices um, was really moving and it was so extraordinary to see these these uh, young people do this work and eventually we were able to be kind of creative and pass a law that it wasn't quite the first law in the country but it was the strongest law in the country because we found different ways to make sure we were getting at these folks in um, any way possible and, and you know it's going to protect a lot of young people in Illinois and so that's something else that I'm um, really just felt incredibly honored to have a chance to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And so obviously in 2018, you did run for governor of Illinois, or at least in the Democratic primaries. And so coming off of that run and the work you've done in the last two years, and you did start touching on this, why are you interested in being Evanston's mayor? What about the position is important? And what could you bring to the table that isn't there right now? Well, I, I think it really is a unique time, right? Um, and, and frankly, a lot of that has to do with the tragic murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the, the national discussion that's happened in the wake of that. But, you know, I would say we, we have now um, moved past a phase of mourning and anguish to a phase of really robust discussion of very, very bold and frankly controversial ideas. And the next question then is, what are we going to do? How are we actually going to change these things? And I think the, the acknowledgement that is now much more widespread, that there is a historic connection between the institution of policing and the effort to control black and brown bodies and, and protect white property. Uh, and, and therefore, irrespective of whatever you might experience about police officers who are doing their job well, there are, there are institutional problems to to be rooted out, that, that's, a, that's really important. And getting that right is really, really valuable. Uh, and, and so fundamentally, I, I felt like it was obvious to me that four years from now, we might look back in incredible pride at having gotten it right. And it's also possible that four years from now, we could look back and feel kind of disappointed in ourselves that we didn't put in the work and the effort to get these things right. And so to me, the next mayor is going to help determine which of those two paths we land on. And that's like, that's the whole point of public service to me is to help, to help lead a community to make the right choices when the stakes are high. And, and that's why I'm so excited about what this job could mean. Definitely. 
Um, I know you talked a lot about um, some specific like issues that have been important to you in the past. Um, but as mayor and running for mayor, what will you do to address the issues that matter the most to you? Um, and maybe if you can elaborate a little bit more on, um, you just talked about like racial justice and um, equity, maybe how you might address that if you're elected. Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, it's important to make a kind of prioritized list because uh, we can't do everything. And so yes, racial justice, equity and public safety is a, a, huge, a huge priority for me. Uh, and additionally, I would add to that list housing and climate as other things that I think we, we have to make really bold steps on. So, you know, for example, I think on public safety, let's just, you know, let's just analyze the situation for a second here, right? The, the a police officer is a very special type of city employee. They're the only ones who carry a gun around. They're the only ones who carry a badge around. They're the only ones who have the power to put you under arrest, take away your liberty and put you in a cave somewhere. And so that's a, a highly specialized set of powers and responsibilities and skills um, that are uh, unfortunately, in my opinion, necessary uh, for some circumstances, but also I think relatively obviously not necessary for a lot of other circumstances. And what we have done over the years is allow, um, allow our, our habits to creep to a place where we are asking police officers to do more and more and more things that don't require someone to show up with a badge and a gun and the ability to put you under arrest. In other words, we're asking them to do things they're not trained to do that are outside their core area of competence where somebody else could probably do a better job. Things like dealing with mental health crises, substance abuse crises, traffic stops, protests, protests stuff like that. And so what, what we need to do, I think, is develop a full audit of what all are the police doing. Of those things, what needs to be done by police officers in the traditional sense? What needs to be done by somebody else altogether? And how do we build up the capacity for that somebody else to be available? And then what needs to be done by some kind of partnership, a co-response model, for instance, of a police officer and a mental health worker uh, arriving at a, a home together. And, and once you've made those three categories, then you need to build up the capacity to actually do the work that way and then start to deflect police responsibilities over to these other functions. If you get all that right, which is a difficult, delicate, multi-step process, you've wound up providing for a greater quality of police services and a greater level of truly shared safety at a lower cost. And so it's a tremendous opportunity for the community. Um, you know, when it comes to housing, I think we have a tremendous affordability problem in this community, both for um, middle income working families um, and also for, for households in, in deep poverty. And so there's all kinds of changes in the inclusionary housing ordinance, in our zoning code, in the way we get subsidies, in the way we partner with Cook County in the state of Illinois to make sure that we're designing our housing policy around a commitment to true affordability. And by the way, not just affordability, but also integration in the economic and racial context, because we still have a pretty darn segregated community and that has um, negative social consequences in my view, uh, as well as problems in terms of school segregation as well. So, so I, think, I think that needs to be the focus when it comes to housing. When it comes to climate, you know, we have uh, something called the Climate Action and Resilience Plan that was uh, enacted by council a couple of years ago. It's a really important document, but here's what it does. It sets ambitious goals. It doesn't actually solve the problem. And so now that those goals have been set, and I'm really thrilled that they have been set, now we've got to actually do the hard part about decarbonizing our buildings and moving 
uh, away from carbon in our electricity sources and changing our waste disposal mechanisms. And that's just a tremendous amount of really difficult, critical work that's gonna have to be done on an ongoing continuous basis if we intend to actually meet the goals in the climate action and resilience plan. So all these things are, in my opinion, difficult and bold. None of them is gonna happen without some pushback and some controversy. And so what I need to do is to, first of all, be clear during the course of this campaign about what I'm running on. So if I'm elected, it'll be visible to the community that there really is a public support for, for these ambitious agendas. And then work closely with experts in the community, with activists and organizers in the community, and the nine members of the council to really move an agenda like this forward. And, and what I will say is that in studying recent mayors of Evanston, and they're, they're all really different from each other in their priorities and their styles, but I found that often if there's something a mayor is truly passionate about, truly believes is right for the community, they have enough tools at their disposal to move the council along and make some progress. And so I'm, I'm hopeful there's a lot we can get done. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I am curious, since you started touching us, like how do you think change happens? And I know that's a very open-ended question. Yeah, uh, it is. Um, I don't think there's one answer, right? I think sometimes change comes from ideas, right? That, that there will be you know, academics or policy analysts or philosophers will write about something and it'll percolate into the, into the kind of consciousness of policymakers and then just happen. Um, other times change happens straight from the bottom up, that people, people demand something and often people are kind of ahead of their own legislators and have to kind of drag their elected officials along with them. And, and that happens when you organize broadly, right? Because, um, you know, there's nine wards in Evanston, right? So Evanston, each alderman in Evanston represents a little over 8,000 residents. If you can persuade an alderman that there's 500 people in their ward who actually care about something, they'll do whatever you want because that's such a significant portion of their constituency. Um, and so if you're able to organize true, sustained public input from passionate, committed residents who are willing to make clear to their elected officials what they want, there's the possibility of, of moving an agenda pretty fast in a community of this size. Um, I also had a follow-up question about, um, you talked a little bit about school segregation and as students um, and kind of being involved in some other organizations I've heard like talks about a school in the fifth ward. And I was wondering kind of how you felt about that. I support it. Um, I think that, um, I think a neighborhood school is really important. Um, and I think it, it's a form of, it's a social anchor in the community and it creates social bonds in the community. It connects neighbors to each other and creates a, a greater safety net because people get to know each other on the walk to and from school and they can look out for each other. Uh, it's good for public health for kids to be able to walk to school. Um, I just think it's really important. I think it's really important. And I think that, um, I mean, I'm not going to criticize what happened, you know, when foster school was closed. It's a, it's a different era and I get it. But I think the idea that we're going to help the communities that have been the victims of systemic racism by shutting down their institutions and then busing them somewhere else, while the communities that have benefited from systemic racism won't have to, won't have to deal with any disruption, that's, a, that's bananas. Like that's, that is not a logical way to, to solve the problem, I think, given the vantage point of um, more thinking and more, a more modern understanding of what, uh, what racism really means. Uh, and so, yeah, I support a fifth word school. I think it's important. And, and of course, you know, I don't want to pretend that the mayor can, can, you know, affect school policy, but there's going to be a fifth word school that's going to require a real partnership between the city government and district 65. And uh, 
I will be a, a very enthusiastic partner in that, in that effort. Yeah. Um, and so like, what do you see as the biggest challenges facing Evanston right now? And how might you try to navigate them as mayor? Well, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, as you can tell, because we're not doing this in person. <laughs> um, and it's, it's devastating, right? I mean, we've lost around 100 Evanstonians. Um, we've uh, had many more people who've had significant health consequences, even though, thank God, they've, they've survived. Um, torn apart families. Um, I don't think we should understate the depth of the social consequences of, you know, now essentially a year of remote school and isolation. I mean, it, I, I look at uh, older adults, uh, many of whom were on really strict lockdown during a long portion of this period of time, who've lost their contact with, with the ability to see other people. Um, the social consequences are really severe. And then of course the economic consequences are severe. You wander around downtown and there's, there's tons of uh, empty storefronts and you know, revenue to the city government is down. So, so the pandemic is a giant, giant um, agglomeration of different problems that we're gonna have to work very hard to dig out of. Uh, I think the question of uh, racial justice and equity uh, is also right up there at the top of that list. And then additionally, I would say affordability. Um, so to me, those are the, those are the top tier of problems uh, in our community. Um, and, you know, there's a lot to be said about, about all of them. I've talked some about the questions of racial justice uh, and some about the questions of housing. Um, you know, I think when it comes to the pandemic, you know, first of all, we're a little bit luckier than some of our neighboring suburbs. We have our own health department. And so that can accelerate the distribution of the vaccine. I think being super transparent about Everything is really critical here. And I actually believe the city's done a very nice job of this for the most part of, of clarity about what's going on, what we ought to do, how we ought to respond to different situations, how we as a community will respond to certain things that might occur in the future. Uh, and then as the vaccine distribution moves down the road, we got to just be even more, more um, uh, vigilant on, on that front. Um, I think we're going to have a lot of economic recovery work to do, but I also think the situation does present economic opportunities for a community like Evanston. You know, as the vaccine becomes uh, more uh, widespread in its distribution and, and we begin to see the ability to, to return back to normal, look, I think the world's going to be unpredictable. I don't think it's going to be exactly like it is now. I mean, I know it's not going to be exactly like it is now, but I also don't think it's going to be exactly like it was a year ago. There's going to be new patterns. I think Evanston's pretty well positioned to capitalize on those new patterns and bring in new employers, but we're gonna have to work quickly because that's, that's gonna be a set of decisions that gets made uh, rapidly as we start to come out of these various mitigation uh, measures. Mm -hmm. And um, if like, I guess as we talk about getting out of that um, and getting out of like the really harsh restrictions of COVID, um, I guess, how would you see Evanston over, like, what do you see Evanston as? in the next four years and then in the next 20 years? Well, in the next four years, I see Evanston as a community that can be really thriving in its recovery from this pandemic and a, a city that can show the country what a truly bold and fearless agenda on racial justice looks like. Uh, you know, I want, I want other people who are grappling with uh, questions of racial justice in their communities to always be told, you got to look at Evanston because they're, they're actually getting this right. They're not just doing window dressing. They're not just congratulating themselves. They're owning up to the challenge and really, really taking them on in, in an honest and serious way. Um, I think 20 years down the road, um, 
I think we have an unbelievable set of assets in this town. Um, an unbelievable set of assets that this is hard to say, but uh, unfortunately I believe it will only become that much more uh, extraordinary as the effect of climate change began to harm the world more and proximity to uh, fresh water uh, and was going to become that much more that much more critical. Um, and so I think I would like to see Evanston over the course of the next 20 years move to being a more communal, uh, walkable um, neighborhood, essentially, large neighborhood. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a vision of what's called a 15-minute city, which is, and this goes back to your question about the Fifth Ward School, Nora, which is the idea that we should all be able to access our true necessities within 15 minutes from our home. Uh, and so that means everyone has a school that they can walk to and everyone has access to uh, healthy food and other clear necessities that they can walk to. And I think that allows for a kind of uh, density and affordability and a community feel where we support one another um, that would be enormously beneficial to, to, um, to everyone's life in this town. And by the way, if you do that, what you wind up doing is you increase population density. And so from an economic standpoint, stores in Evanston all of a sudden have more customers because more people live here and it accelerates our economic recovery as well. And so that, that's a long-term transformation in our lives here, but it's, it's a, the direction I think we ought to go as a, as a community that's right there on a lakefront on, at, with access to mass transit and, and high quality educational institutions. That, that's where we, we can get and it'll be a remarkable uh, position that will make us the envy of, of the country. Yeah, absolutely. That is a good vision of the future. Um, obviously, as you're talking about like making bold plans, certainly like Evanston youth and youth activism groups have been doing a lot of that, especially over the summer. Um, and how might you engage with those groups? Um, I think that we have uh, an unbelievable wealth of people and organizations in this town who have a ton to contribute. And we don't always do as good a job as we could of including them in our decision-making process on the front end. Right, so like, um, it's really cool that the Evanston Fight for Black Lives gets invited to city council to talk for 10 min minutes at a council meeting. I'll, if they wanna do that again, I'll do that again. I'll invite them again on the mayor. More importantly, I wanna sit down with them in advance as we're crafting public safety policy. Uh, and, and it's not just, I mean, you mentioned youth activism over the summer, so EFBL came to mind immediately, but it's, it's not just them. There is, this town is not like other places in this respect. I remember when I was uh, in the, uh, Illinois House of Representatives and Evanston uh, was like, it was like 7% or something of my district roughly. But it was something like a third of the phone calls we got in our district office because there was just that level of activism and engagement uh, and, and people were paying that close attention to state government. Dude, that's a resource. That is a resource that can help elected leaders do their job better if they're not too frightened to let people into the process in an honest and transparent way. And so, you know, we're not going to meet our climate goals without engaging the just absolute armada of different uh, climate activists and organizers in this town. Like, we're not going to do it on our own. We're going to do it with them. They're going to drag us there, in fact. And so we, we need to invite them in to start dragging. Um, we're not going to get where we need to go on police reform without young activists sitting at the table and talking about the experiences they have every single day and the ideas that they, they bring. Uh, and, and I, I don't know, man, like that's where this job gets fun, right? It's really, really fun to actually sit 
down with a broad, diverse cross-section of people and, and hammer things out and, and allow yourself to listen and learn and change and grow based upon what you're being told. Uh, and I, I think, you know, that has a lot to do with why I feel very hopeful that we can do a lot in this, that I can do a lot in this job because I know that I won't be alone. Instead, it'll be with an extraordinary wealth of people who have, you know, different points of view, but broadly aligned values and a real commitment to get stuff done. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that like a lot of the high schoolers that I know at least would appreciate um, a mayor who was willing to do that. Um, we're going to do like, I guess it's a little bit more fun. I don't really know. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you really sold that hard, Nora. That was, uh, that was persuasive. Um, we have a set of speed round questions. So these are kind of like one word answer questions. Can the words have hyphens in them? Yeah, so like one or two words. Okay, awesome. Um, so, okay. If you could describe your campaign in one or two words, what would it be? Bold. How would you describe yourself? Um, that's a personal question, Jesus. Um, um, <laughs> that was whether it's a pause before fun. <laughs> optimistic. In one or two words, what is something you love about Evanston? Diversity. What's something you, need to ch you think needs to change about Evanston? Two words, I could do it. Uh, change aversion. Great. Um, I'll acknowledge that aversion to change is more sure. of a way to talk, but it's three words. So I, That's true. I just solved the puzzle. Out of curiosity, since you're sitting in front of a bookshelf, what's your favorite book? Um, God. Um, well, I'm not going to pretend this is my favorite book every day, but today I'm going to say Master of the Senate by Robert Caro, which is book three of Robert Caro's unbelievable um, uh, a biography of Lyndon Johnson, which like, if you want more stuff to be nervous about, it's a five volume series and only the fourth volume has come out so far. And Caro is 85 years old. So somebody send that guy healthy food. Um, last one. What one thing that you are excited about this year? Vaccination. <laughs> okay. well, thank you so much for doing that with us. No, of course. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you so much for just taking time to sit down with us for half an hour. And, uh, just yeah, share. enjoy the conversation. I really appreciate you guys reaching out. It was so good to talk to Senator Daniel Biss about um, his plans if he wins the mayoral election. And I just want to remind all of our listeners, the elections are on February 23rd. If you would like to request a mail-in ballot, the last day to do that is February 18th. In addition, all interviews and profiles on all of the city council and mayoral candidates will be up on the Evansonians website within the next few days, depending on the time of your listening to this. Again, links will be in the description. Um, yeah, thanks, yeah. Nora. Yeah, it was, it, yeah, yes, it was a good time. Yeah, have um, a good one, everyone.